0: Hola, soy Fiorella Pinillos y este es Below the Radar, a knowledge democracy podcast. Below the Radar is recorded on the territories of the Damascen, Squamish and Salihuitus peoples. On this episode of Below the Radar, our host, Am Joha, is joined by Ethos Lab founder, Antonia Gundele, talking about her career in emergency management, the origins of Ethos Lab, and inequalities in STEM education and innovation programs. Que lo disfruten.
1: there. Welcome to uh, Below the Radar. Really delighted that you could join us. We're really excited to have a special guest this week. Antonia Ogundele is, is with us today. Welcome, Antonia.
0: Oh, thanks for having me, Anne.
1: Yeah, wonderful to uh, be able to spend some time with you. I've been admiring your work from afar, and we know a bunch of uh, mutual people. And I'm wondering if you can, we can just begin by you introducing yourself a little bit.
0: Oh, wow. That's a really big question. I am Antonia Ogundale. I grew up in Mississauga, lived in Toronto for most of my life, and then moved out to Vancouver about seven years ago. I have a career in in emergency management, sustainability, and, and literally it was the mountains and my boyfriend that drew me out to the West Coast. And ever since then, I've been really active in trying to, you know, make it feel like home and get involved. And, and so a lot of the things that I've done have happened in kind of the last five years because about two years into coming here and listening to a lot of Toronto radio stations and staying abreast to what was happening in Toronto I actually had to say to myself like no you live here now and what can you do when you're here so I made a very conscious decision to get really yeah. engaged and try things out and and that's kind of who I am kind of what I do I'm I'm a mom to an amazing 13 year old girl and I have an amazing husband who's a transportation planner so nice. it's uh exciting,
1: exciting house. One of the projects you're working on right now is one that you founded called Ethos Lab. I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about this project, where it began and, and kind of what you're up to now.
0: Wow. It's a, it's a, <laughs> these are seem really straightforward questions Anne, but like they're so complicated because they've, I think anything that I start working on, I've been percolating on for an extended period of time, but Ethos Lab really came out of a conversation I had with my daughter and she was asking me, you know, can she go to the mall? And I said, no, you can't go hang out at the mall. But I didn't know where she can hang out. And then it started and then I started asking myself about space and like, where is that third place where young people can hang out? And then where's that space where my daughter can hang out and, and really feel like she can be fullest extent of her Authentic self, as I like to say, and and, and coupled that with, you know, trying to find different activities for her to do after school and that are flexible for her to engage in, I started seeing that there was a deep inequality in accessing STEM programming in particular and innovation programming, which often unless if you go to a public school, unless it's championed by the administration or a teacher recognizes a giftedness in you, you don't actually have access to it. Despite the the plethora of free programs that are out there, and so I thought, well, there's just that kind of accessibility challenge and then the second piece is, well, there's also that culture challenge right that that there is what we know a deep underrepresentation of black people, black youth that that are choosing STEM careers as an option and I would argue that it's that the culture hasn't allowed for a sustained community to be built from a young age and so ethos lab came out of that with ethos really being inspired by a paper that I have only ever written the title (laughs) for, which is called Reimagining the Black Ethos, where a lot of Black movements are in response to many issues and contextual issues that are happening. But I was like, well, what might it look like to really build off of, you know, the deep empathy that the Black community feels or joy or the um, looking at cultural practice and and looking at all the different things that actually make it really unique to be black, and so that's where that ethos kind of came from. I've never fully articulated it, but what I do say is that really centering the humanity of the black experience, you know, just creating a space where my daughter would feel respected, reflected, and protected. So that's that's the complicated origin stories a little bit mm-hmm. cross section with race and uh, cooperative economics and urban planning and digital and physical and all the different things that I'm interested in. So I made a decision to leave my job to to really address this.
1: Yeah, amazing. And and so you have a, a space in Surrey with Solid State and other organizations. So what happens out of the Ethos Lab space? What are you um, up to now that you've um, sort of left your job, started <laughs> making this thing uh, happen in the real world in Surrey.
0: Yeah, I mean, that, that's that been like a really great relationship, being a part of the solid state family. And it's just great to have uh, when you're working on a youth project, sharing office space with with youth is, I think, a very positive thing. But out of the solid state space, um, initially, we were doing a lot of planning and and thinking through what this could be and uh, And then we've transitioned to running workshops out of there. So mostly we have partnered with another local Vancouver startup called Hertic Technology, and they have created a program that allows for young people to learn artificial intelligence or code in artificial intelligence. So what we do is we um, teach the kids how to code in AI whether that be voice to speech, you know, face re- facial recognition and, and movement and robotics and all these many different things that might that encompass AI. But we also address issues around bias and all of the different other social impacts associated with AI, because um, one of the main foundations of Ethos Lab is that we want youth to be creators and not just consumers. So understanding that AI is a part of everything that we're really engaged in, but they can actually make a change because they learn how to do it.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the the age group of the young people involved with uh, Ethos Lab are you between thirteen and eighteen, or a range of ages? Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's a uh, ages thirteen to eighteen, and sometimes we have nine year olds and ten year olds trying to slip into some of our <laughs> to some of our programming. But uh, yeah, it's typically thirteen to eighteen, with a majority between the ages of thirteen to fifteen. It's also major- majority are girls, which is wonderful in terms of being able to expose to STEM. And, um, and it is a majority of Black youth that are attending, but Ethos Lab is open to everybody.
1: And, and in terms of uh, situating the, the actual uh, physical space of the office in Surrey, uh, was this something you were intending to do at the beginning, or did you end up landing in the Surrey for a particular reason in terms of the communities you were working with?
0: Yeah, it was something that I'd contemplated only because uh, Ethos Lab is a regional initiative. Many of these different types of programs, it's either, you know, it's in Vancouver or it's in Surrey, but I really wanted something that could cross municipal boundaries. But the relationship with solid state was such that it was located in Surrey. And there was also, you know, just a large population of young people out there that wouldn't necessarily have access to these types of programming. And so that's That's a a big reason of being out there, but it is also just mainly like really enjoy the solid state family. So we're out there too. But something to note is that the young people, we are majority Vancouver people that are part of Ethos Lab. It is currently existent online. We use Zoom to currently interact as well as we have a social virtual reality space called Atlantos, where they also interact. And so the young people, uh, when we were um, out in Surrey, when we were able to meet, would actually hop on transit and come on out because they really wanted to participate. So they come from across the region, really. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm. Now, you've been involved in so many uh, different things. I got some uh, intel from the solid state people, of course, but one thing I wanted to ask you about was your involvement in art spaces, uh, cheeky proletariat being one mm-hmm. of them, but wondering if you can talk a little bit about your relationship to, to art spaces as well.
0: Mm, Well, I think it's interesting that you even identify it as an art space. I've tried to, it's called a gallery for pattern matching more than anything else. It's really just a space for Mm self-expression because art can manifest in many different ways. And so the cheeky was just a storefront closet (laughs) of a a condo that my husband and I own. And we're both urban planners and we're both curious about space and activating space. And we're like, oh, well, what, what might this look like? And so when I do call it a gallery or if I do call it art, it really draws someone who might be a trained artist or that trained artist might, might take the space. But in actuality, it's called the cheeky proletariat because it truly is cheeky proletariat. People who are teachers, caretakers, you know, they might be, work in a restaurant and they've never shared their work before. And that could be a book, that could be art, that could be drama, and it's small enough for you to just kind of go and test and try things out. So we've get, most of the people are people who've never shown their work before. And that's, and it's just been a really beautiful community to see kind of grow. I've tried to be as anonymous to the space uh, to, to much fail, much to my failure, but you know, it's really about the community there like a thousand percent about the community there. So there's a guy that comes in in between exhibits or like displays and paints it. And I've never met him. Like, I just transfer him money and like he goes and he paints and he says, he's like, who are you? Like, what's going on? I'm painting here. People asking me what this is like, you know, and I'm like, just, just paint the place. (laughs) (laughs) So It's like this really weird. Thing. but but what's also been really beautiful is that like I had him coming and painting but then someone would use the space and they'll say hey you know what it needs a coat of paint let me just paint it for you and then the last person that was in there um the last people they were two 13 year olds that made a holiday window and uh the parent was like let me redo the lights for you and like redid the lighting in the space and and that's just kind of been the way it's started evolving is that people just kind of give back to the space for the next person so it's been wonderful
1: nice so I was I was chatting with uh, Matt Hearn from uh, Solid State and I, and I was like I'm gonna be talking to uh, Antonia what should what should I what should I ask her and, and he was like ask her about her basketball career so tell us about your basketball career I don't know anything about it <laughs> my
0: basketball career is uh you know I um I played basketball for most of my life I mean I played a lot of different sports and Went to University of Ottawa, played basketball there just for a couple of years or just for yeah. a bit. And, and then I stopped. I actually stopped playing basketball after because I was like, I'm not going to do this for the rest of my life. Like I'm not going to the league or anything. <laughs> and then recently, prior to COVID, picked up basketball. I play at the Strathcona Women's League. Oh, and nice. on, on hoops, there it is, is the name of our team. Nice. A lot of stretching happens now. You know, a lot of like not moving as fast as I used to. But I enjoy playing basketball. My daughter enjoys playing basketball as well. And uh if you know, if you want to talk about Philadelphia 76ers, I will talk about them. I'm a fan of Doc Rivers and I, I could talk at length of where I think they're gonna go this yeah, year Yeah,
1: I'm I'm so old I remember Dr. J playing, so that oh. like way back, way back, Julius Irving, the Coca-Cola dunk. Yeah. I, I've been going to Mount Pleasant just to, you know, uh social distance hoops just to Oh nice move around a little bit. And then uh uh he told uh he told me something else as well that used to manage Shad. Tell us about that.
0: <laughs> I'll put that in like strong quotation marks, but like <laughs> that was the the word to use, I guess, at that time. Um this was back in my um, mid-20s or so in Toronto. And, you know, I came across his album and he had just finished winning a competition. And I reached out and I was like, yo, like, what are you doing? Like, do you need any help? And he was like, sure. Okay. And eventually it was me, a friend of his who went on to like be his full-time manager. At this time I was working full-time at the Ontario government. And so it was really fun to like, be you know working in emergency management and doing my government job and then after after that we would like drive a couple of hours to go do a show and then come back and um it was just it was it was an interesting time and so I I did that for for a period of time and then made a decision to 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 go back to school and um but we've maintained a really strong friendship ever since then he's like family and uh, I'm just so proud of everything he's accomplished
1: so, so you worked in uh, emergency management. Tell me about that. It's such an interesting uh, background in terms of you know how you're doing, what you're doing. But that uh, is an interesting background with planning and, and all of that. What did you used to do there?
0: Yeah, I worked in emergency management, or I still do work in emergency management. i uh, myself an emergency management business continuity professional. Been doing that since 2003. And, uh, and what essentially we do is like plan for and prepare and respond to emergencies or disasters. So I often called myself the dark cloud in the room, you know, people come up with their wonderful plans and then I'm always like, well, what if, and, uh, and so, <laughs> uh, you know, I did pandemic planning. I, I led, um, the GHE 20 kind of, uh, planning, emergency planning in, uh, Toronto for the government. I you know, worked with BND on, on major exercises. And that's, it was um, a really interesting career from a provincial perspective, but, you know, for many, for many different reasons felt that there could be a lot more prevention associated with really responding to these emergencies. Like mainly when I was starting to plan my vacation around Northern flooding, right? Like knowing that communities are going to be displaced for a number of weeks being flown out indigenous communities being flown out of their community that I could plan that every year like that's that's a problem and so that, that it transitioned to now I I, I then uh, you know left and I'm still in the emergency management and business continuity phase and I did that with Band City Credit Union and really helping them with their business continuity plans and as well, thinking a lot about community resilience, uh, but I was also accountable for sustainability as well. So managing Vancity's, uh GHG footprint um, program and GHG accounting. And so now uh, <laughs> I work on this side, moonlighting with the World Bank, working on public financial management uh, resilience, uh, post-disaster resilience in the Caribbean.
1: So I, that's what I do, kind of. Wow, fascinating uh, stuff! i was just thinking about Van City, where you know most of their branches are in the Lower Mainland or Vancouver Island, and the physical concentration of of spaces, and and also most of their their banking happening here as well. That really localizes uh, risk if there's a natural disaster <laughs> or otherwise. <laughs> Keep yeah. people up at night. Um, why do you love crows so much?
0: funny thing is and again I know that this is this was a little bug in your ear from Matt Hearn I hate
1: I hate crows
0: I'm scared of crows I can't stand birds in general I like I I don't I don't like I don't like birds um crows are the most malicious out of all of them so we've just recently moved to East Van and uh he go to my husband I'm like we've moved to their home Like we've moved, this is where, this is their origin story. Like this is where it starts. Um, So uh, I don't, I don't enjoy crows. They're very smart though. Um, So I think, I think there's a relationship that can be uh, brokered with probably some snacks
1: and shiny things. Yeah. So um, how about parenting?
0: I mean, there's so many different angles and conversations to have about that. I think you know, my husband and I became parents, you know, to a tween. And so you enter in a really, in, in almost a, in a different way, I, I guess, in that it was quite sobering to, un, to understand now, <laughs> to understand now what, what parents are going through. It is, it's not easy, but it is a really beautiful thing to have such honest questions being posed by a younger, younger person you know, it's, it's literally changed my life. So I sometimes say, you know, when, when, when women maybe give birth to a baby or something, they might start a mommy blog. There are tons of mommy blogs. And then, uh, you know, I had my daughter and I gave birth to Ethos labs. And that's, that's literally what it did. It changed my life to, to see, like, I did not want my daughter to have the same, have the same conversations that I was having growing up and having to Consistently reassert my my humanity in this world, um, and a place where she can have these conversations about what it means to be who she is, while also again having access to like really great tools. It, it really opened my eyes to the inequality of the education system in a way. Ethos Lab is an emergency response to the gross inequality that's happening in terms of having access to tools, equipment, ideas networks that I realize that a lot of kids don't have access to.
1: Now, in this pandemic moment with your emergency preparedness background, <laughs> and, you know, doing a new project, I imagine you think about these things in such complex ways. And I think the kinds of return back to normal, as people call it, isn't really what people don't want to go back to the world we were in before. And when you think through projects that you're working on and conversations you're involved in, what are the kinds of things that you're thinking about or, or trying to bring about in terms of what everyone should be thinking about into the type of world we want to move into after the uh, worst excesses of the pandemic part are actually over? But, but we still have that other world, too, <laughs> to reemerge back into. That was so problematic in the first place. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Yeah. Like, this is a really juicy question, Anne, because much of my contemplation is about digital space, technology, and kind of where that's going. And you can see the power in the tech space. In kind of charting a path forward, like as soon as the pandemic hit, it was very clear that if you didn't have access to the technology, and if you didn't have access to like the hardware, well, forget about it. It's almost like you don't even really exist in this time. And how, how do you continue to socialize? So conversations that I'm kind of bringing forward and having with in particular parents is that this is the digital reality, like this is real. And that as much as I'm I am concerned about the pandemic and again the, the mental health impact that it's gonna have it's having on families, there is a system in the tech space, and we see what's happening with the antitrust litigation that's happening in the states that is moving so quickly. And if we as a community, as adults, you know, me being a parent and, and young people aren't able to begin to respond now. It's going to be a completely world devoid of, of certain populations, you know, marginalized, racialized, like just across the board. And so that's what I that's what I think about. It's complex without kind of getting into these concepts of the metaverse, right? These kind of parallel digital worlds that are currently growing at it, like an ex- extreme rate, like when when my daughter is attending a Black Lives Matter rally in NBA 2K, it tells you where we're going, and um, and we don't have um, a lot of people don't have the language to ask the right questions around. What world do we want to be in? Or how can I be a creator or build into that space? And I think that that's why a lot of the big tech companies have gotten away with what they're doing is that these government officials aren't asking the right questions. And so even as parents, we need to be able to ask the right questions to our kids and understanding that truly right now, they're operating more as avatars than they are in like physical, like as people that you talk to. And that's shocking. And that does something in terms of psychology, how we relate to one another. Um, So when we talk about building into the future, I think we can't be afraid of tech space. We really need to do a big push on digital literacy and give people greater access to the tools to be able to to build into it. One of my um, consultants who I work with who helped build Atlanthos, he said, you know, when we were building Atlanthos, the social virtual reality space, we couldn't find any youth Black avatars. Like we just couldn't find Black avatars. And if we're moving into this place where there's so much more engagement online, like what does that mean for the Black existence, the Black body, like Black people are not are not a part of this tech ecosystem to even be able to build and create their own identities and what they might look like. Right. When the first Black virtual supermodel is created by a 28 year old white guy out of England, these are some fundamental issues that like what is the relevance? like of of the Black body? What is the value of the Black body or the Black mind or Black imagination? And these are all of the different things that kind of run through my mind and the conversations that I'm I'm trying to have and having with people. And um, before the pandemic, this was like not a conversation to have. People didn't get it, didn't understand what I was doing, didn't understand why Ethos Lab would be focused on this stuff. But I think that there needs to be a stronger intersection of culture, like talking about our culture and our way of being and um, and understanding like all these different STEM tools. Um,
1: I hope that answers your question. No, it, it's so it's so fascinating because you know all of, all of these things around you know um, authoritarian populism and the way digital tools are used to whip up uh, frenzy in terms of reactionary um, politics. That these tools can be used in a much different emancipatory politicized um, sense um, as well. And I think that's a real uh, challenge in terms of um, how to um, uh, make things happen. It's amazing uh, just uh, being able to provide access to the, the, the technologies and the space and context which people get to talk about these things in a, in, a, in a proper sense.
0: Yeah and I mean young people don't really get that opportunity to interrogate their tools like like that, and and so um, we're currently doing like again a five week program right now with the young people called avatars and identity, to really have them explore like okay well what does it how do I want to show up in digital space what does it mean to be me in my physical space and there are academic papers out there right now that talk about how you're psychologically different in in your digital space than you are in your in the physical space that you can actually say you're too different people. And that was what happened, you know, in some of the responses to the, the Capitol building, you know, insurgents was that some people were shocked that they could be the same person online and offline. Like that wasn't me, you know, no, no it was you. And, and I think we're, we're coming at this really, um, this intersection point where we really need to understand, understand that, uh, understand both our, our digital and, and physical selves. And, but, you know, to keep it very simple, we provide youth STEM programming to kids. <laughs> you
1: know? uh, what's what's uh, next for uh, Ethos Lab? Uh, what, what are your plans for the future?
0: Oh, my goodness. Well, so we had imagined, we wanted to be a physical, again, physical creative co-working space with young people. And during the pandemic, we managed to work with the young people to create a social VR space, again, called Atlantos. And so where we're going right now is, is, again, building our community of young people. The vision is that this will be, again, continue to be youth-led, bringing families and kids on board to, to, and see what they're interested in and, and what they want to engage in. But we're, we're moving forward and looking at the development of our own flagship location. That's one of the big things on our horizon. But more than anything else, we want to work through our our pedagogy, and we want to work through our curriculum on what is it, what are the things that we need to focus on. So we're gonna we're gonna be looking at different partners. SFU's already come on board to say, hey, they want to support us in that effect, and UBC as well. But Microsoft again has been a really big partner, uh, wanting to help us in that, and, and a lot of great members of community have said they want to come along board. But, really, there are so many big issues happening in this world, and uh a lot of stem is like huge um I would even call it steam because we we really integrate art and culture into what we're doing, so it's like what are the things we want to focus on and that's kind of where where we are but that that's what's uh, next for ethos lab we're we're growing our community we'd love for um, any young person who is curious open and and wanting to really understand the world around them in a, in a, a recentered way. Again, uh, really centering the humanity of the Black experience, implying that we, we take a decolonized anti-racist approach to teaching technology and teaching STEM. If anyone's interested in that, then come on board. You know, If you'd like to play among us, sure, come on board too.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Antonia, thank you so much for sharing some of your own story and the story of Ethos Lab and, and joining us on Below the Radar today. I just love the work you're doing.
0: <laughs> oh, thanks so much. <laughs> Below the Radar is a Knowledge Democracy podcast created by SFU's City Office of Community Engagement. Thanks for listening to our conversation with Antonia. Head to the show notes to learn more about Ethos Lab, their social virtual reality space Atlantos, as well as some of the other initiatives covered in this episode. Gracias y hasta la próxima.